Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Hey, 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 everybody. Today is June. Wow, I almost forgot what month it was. Today is June 23rd, 2021. This is episode 285, I want to say. 285 on the dot with the bullet. If you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, let me tell you real quick. The Media Boat Podcast is a podcast that's dedicated to the media, including movies, television, video games, and music, not necessarily in that order. Last week, you heard our big E3 blowout show. This week should be a little shorter, a little less news happened, a little more calm. Um, My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. We are indeed on episode 285. We do have a couple thoughts for you this week, including Disney Plus's and really Pixar's new film, Luca. Yeah. Uh, and as well as some other tidbits of news and surprises. Yeah, but all sorts yes, of things. a lot lighter news week than we had last week. Indeed. So let's get rolling right into it. We always start with movies, and we're going to start today with the box office numbers. We actually have a little bit of a shakeup this week. The Hitman wife's the Hitman's wife's bodyguard that double possessive got me. Uh, is your number one movie this year, this week, $11 million. That's adding to its 16.7 domestic total. If you remember correctly, it was on last week's list as well, but it was not number one. It's creeping up to number one this week. Number two, A Quiet Place Part Two, another $9 million. That's at $124 million, which I believe makes it easily the runaway success of the year. Current runaway Currently. success of the year. Currently. So good for them, I guess. Number three, Peter Rabbit 2, $6 million. That's sitting at $20 million domestic. Number four, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. It's another $5 million. That's at 53. And rounding out your top five, Cruella, $4.8 million, adding to its $64 million domestic total. And speaking of your leaders in the box office, what was once the leader in our box office for the year and we were tracking as it crept slowly and slowly to that $100 million mark. Finally made it this week. Way down number 13, our old friends Godzilla versus Kong. 240K, that put it right over at $100.1 million. Congratulations, you did you it. You did it. You did you, it. You dragged your Titan body over the $100 million dark line. <laughs> <laughs> we believed in you. Um, so yeah, that's your box office this week. Upcoming big new release this week, though. That get out of the way, everybody, because this will be your money maker if all things go uh, as planned um, and as predicted. The ninth film in the Fast and Furious film franchise, F Nine. Uh, hit it on your keyboards right now. Actually, don't because I don't know what it does. Uh, <laughs> depends <laughs> on the program. Uh, but yeah, F Nine's out this week. So if you want to see some stupid fun, from what I understand, it's back to the stupid fun of like five, six, and seven, um, the peak. So uh, yeah, good reviews are coming in from this thing. Uh, F9 is supposed to be pretty good. So go see it. Yes. F9 is another one of those. I'm just going to have fun at the movies and not necessarily like pay that much attention to the deep plot that's going on. Yeah. yeah. Which, Fair hey, enough. has worked well for them in the past. <laughs> Indeed. So oh, do we want to put a number on this? No, I feel like still 2021, we're not going to do predictions. It's too volatile. All right. $75 million. <laughs> You're still going to do it. Okay. I guess. All right. Doesn't matter what I say. 
Okay, if you're going <laughs> 75, then um, I'll be more modest. I'll go 60. I'm only saying that because current uh, number one opening weekend was 46 million for yeah. A Quiet Place 2. That's why I'm going to be careful and go 60. I think I'm going to take the under because I don't have trust that as many people are going to show as we think they are. I don't either, but this is also one, the first summer movie, even though we're like already in the middle of June, that makes people want to go to the movies. It's also kind of the one that you kind of want to see out of everything that's out because it is a part of a franchise. It has a built-in fan base and that fan base is going to go see this movie. Regardless of what their um, restrictions are in their state. And well, for most we, states, there are no more restrictions. Right. Well, we will see. Uh, we'll we'll fig- find out next week at this same time. So keep your eyes peeled. As for now, let's move on to movie news. We've got a couple of stories for you. First up, time to introduce you to a new actress that may not be on your radar. How not on the radar is she? Kind of came out of nowhere, in fact. We're talking about Rachel Zegler. I've never heard of her. Well, let me tell you a few movies that she's starring in. The Unknown Actress is about as unknown as they come, with no acting experience, yet has been cast in some big productions this year. She will make her feature film debut later this year as Maria in West Side Story, directed by Steven Spielberg. Before that film premiere, she has also joined the cast of the upcoming DC extended universe film Shazam Fury of the Gods in an unspecified but quote mysterious key role. Recently she has been cast as Snow White in a live action adaptation of the Disney film as well. The film is being directed by Mark Webb formerly of The Amazing Spider-Man, 500 Days of Summer, etc. with production expected to begin sometime in 2022. So if you don't know who she is yet we're going to find out pretty soon here. Yeah, um, I mean, your first acting role is with Steven Spielberg. And then from there, you get cast into uh, a modest comic book film. Mm -hmm. And then Disney comes in, swoops in and says, you're now a Disney princess. (laughs) That's a fast track to success. It's a fast track for sure. Um, Um, So can we hit time on that? Because I believe that is now the speed record for stardom for anybody maybe i don't know <laughs> i mean uh, zero uh looking at her imdb page it is zero she has zero acting credits yeah the first one is west side story which is yet to premiere coming out later this summer so i guess we'll see how those films do um chances are they'll probably do okay so i'm not too worried about her career but hey what a start i mean she will indeed get the big number from maria yeah in west side story that will help and it will definitely help. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our second story here. Hey, so 80s kids, you're out of style. It's all about those 90s kids, as we know. Trends are that everything from the 90s comes back with a vengeance. It's a big and, loop, mm-hmm. big circle. And everything even, repeats itself. Yep, just like Taylor Swift said on a, a song on Evermore, uh, comes back stronger like the 90s trend. Um, so here you go. Well, this time, the thing coming from the 90s is a certain kind of Transformers. Not your older brother, at this point, probably your dad's Transformers uh, that the Michael Bay films in the 2000s were based on. You know, the OGs, your Optimus Primes and such. No, the new hotness is Beast Wars, the 90s spinoff of the original Transformers. Well, the movies 
are adapting to this as well. The seventh film in the Transformers film franchise has entered production and will be titled Transformers colon Rise of the Beasts, based on the TV show of the same name. The film will be directed by Stephen Capel Jr., the director of Creed II, and stars Dominique Fishback from Judas and the Black Messiah and Anthony Ramos from In the Heights in the lead roles. The new film will be set in 1994, focusing on the fight between the Beast Wars and the Predacons, and will feature locations in New York and Machu Picchu. The film is set to release on June 24th, 2022. That's about a year from today. Literally a year from today. And will be the first film in the franchise since Bumblebee in 2018. So, uh, I don't have any personal uh, nostalgia for Beast Wars. I knew I had some friends, though, that were my age that did watch a lot of the Beast Wars show. So, hey, they're really aiming right towards our demographic with this one. Oh, and Beast Wars has a special place in my heart. Okay. For not a really popular reason, though. Oh, okay. Story time. Um, so I watched the Beast Wars as a kid, growing up, young me watching it. <laughs> and then PlayStation and video games came out. So right. I said, oh, Beast Wars, video game. I know that franchise. I recognize that name. I want to play that game. It was also my first introduction to the DualShock controller <laughs> and how you had to use the joystick and not the arrows. And I was yes. so used to the arrows. Yes. But the arrows were the different buttons to transform into. And you had to use the joystick. I hated using the joystick so much that I gave up on that game after two days. <laughs> wow. But I liked the, the show. I watched the show. Also, yeah. um, fun fact, it's not Optimus Prime in the lead role, mm-hmm. but rather Optimus Primal. That's such a role. dumb joke. <laughs> wow. Okay, so that's that level that they're operating on. Good to know. Yes. Also, the level <laughs> they're operating on is for the Predacons mm-hmm. with um, Megatron. He is a dinosaur in yes. the TV series, if you remember that. Sure. He is t- a Tyrannosaurus Rex, so interesting to see how they will incorporate a T-Rex in 1994 that is not in any way directly related to yeah. Jurassic Park <laughs> coming out <laughs> in that same year <laughs> or Don't two years a- earlier 92, 94 yeah. Don't be alarmed but the bases are loaded <laughs> Alright <laughs> I'm just saying that that is an easy connection yes. to make of the type, the T-Rex in in Spielberg's Jurassic Park just happens to be the leader of the Decepticons because the timeline crossover potential. I'm just saying Universal owns both properties. It happened. All right. Well, before we go deep, Paramount that owns Transformers, but but it's in Universal Studios and they're literally like right across from each other. So, right. Well, before we go deep in conspiracy territory, let's move on. So yeah, uh, Beast Wars, probably smart uh, to get to those millennials and um, yeah, I bet it'll do pretty well. It's also a break from the cars and the Autobots. Right. So it's a fresh skin, even though it's in the 90s. Yeah, different take. Yep. All right, let's move on. We have one movie thought for you. As you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we have our big new release this week was on Disney Plus in the form of Disney Pixar's Luca. So we've both watched this. Uh, 
Sounds like what may be to varying uh, uh, opinions. So uh, let's hear your take first. So I'm best. I'm bet. I'm betting that you watched this with your with your partner, Doctor. Yes, I watched this with Doctor. Um, <laughs> also watched it with friend of the show, Adam. Okay, but he fell asleep. You know what? I don't blame him. I mean, this is also <laughs> after like five beers, but oh, he well, fell asleep. Okay. Extra, extra, don't blame him. On that extra, extra, don't blame him. On that, that, that take. Uh, but we watched it and stayed up and paid attention to it. And I'm not sure where I fall on this. It's okay. a cute movie. Yeah. Definitely cute. Definitely yeah, looks cute. good. Definitely Pixar vibes. But <laughs> you hope. that's about as far as I can go in saying how good it is. Right. It's a cute movie. Definitely a kid's movie. But it doesn't really dive deeper than that. There's not a whole lot of extra stuff to think about from the movie that you do with other, say other right. Pixar films, especially coming off of Soul, which was very metaphysical in its yeah. storytelling. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, to play off that point, like 100% how I felt about it. This is just a middle of the road Pixar film. It kind of reminded me of Onward a little bit. But even mm-hmm. Onward had a little bit more of an emotional edge. This one, it seems like for whatever reason, the, the emotional edges have been sanded down. This feels like when another studio tries to do a Pixar movie. You, you know what I kind of mean? Where it's right. like, I mean, you get the surface get level themes, but they don't go deep. It's funny because you're yeah, right. They're coming off of Soul, which is one of the biggest swings they've ever taken, you could argue. It was a film that was basically falls apart unless you really like feel like the connection to this character and this like metaphysical like exploration of what it means to be alive. Like, right, that's and if that much... ending speech doesn't hit as hard right. as it does, that whole movie falls apart. So compared to Soul, this seems very shallow, in, which is which is weird. There's it's, it's some... ironic because it deals with like, the deep ocean, <laughs> right? Except. Does it really Does it? though? Because one of the okay, so before I get into that conversation, kind to of kind, of territory. Our, kind of finish our th- thoughts about the themes, it definitely seems like there's stuff that they're they want to go go for here, but they don't do enough. It's like they they get they establish some some thematic stuff like setting up the friendship between the the two boys, the main characters setting up this another friendship with the the girl that they meet setting up the fact that he wants to have this knowledge and he finds a way to get knowledge about halfway through the movie and then that becomes his goal but none of it feels like it's really that the stakes never feel high enough to make any of that matter that's what I was about to say is at the end of the at the end of the movie does any of this really matter no and one of the things that they do is they set up for the bulk of the movie that, okay, well, minor spoiler, but if you've seen the trailers, you probably know this is the case. The main character and the best friend of the main character are sea monsters. Sea monsters that live underwater, but are transformed into humans or human-looking creatures when they be- go on to shore. So they're able to fit in with people on the shore without people necessarily knowing that they're sea monsters, unless they get wet, gremlin style. So the problem is, is that the film sets up for the bulk of its runtime, 
oh no, the humans are going to freak if they find out that you're sea monsters. This is a sea monster hunting town. You will die. That's the setup. And that is what creates most of the tension through most of the movie. They're it's trying also not what to what creates be... most of the gimmicks of them yeah. trying to run around and not be found out that they're sea monsters. Yeah. But I'm trying to think of how to say this without giving a spoiler away. Let's just say that the stakes that they set up, they're not paid off. And what ends up at the end of the movie, you're wondering, you're left wondering, be like, oh, so I guess it was going to be okay anyway. <laughs> and so that makes everything that led to the end feel like, okay, so what was the big deal? Like, everybody is getting along now. Everybody got along most for the most part. There's one scene in this movie that actually establishes that there's some sort of danger, and it's with one character. And then even that character ends up not paying off that danger at the end. It's just, for a Pixar movie, it has holes in its plot that Pixar movies don't have. It seems like that the story team was not operating at full force for this one. And that's only the first half. This is like the first half of the argument that I, like, that I have for this thing, against this thing. The other half is what you kind of brought up there, which is there's a lot of, there's a lack of world building here. It all takes place in yeah. one town. Right. Not and, only that though, but... Well, technically there's two locations that this thing goes to. Three, if you want to stretch it. Yeah. One is the island. Two is the town. Three is the sea monster home. Yeah. Three distinct places. But yeah. It, we're it's pared down. Yeah, we're in the town for the most of the movie. The sea the sea play the like the, the scenes in the sea area are mostly just used for setup. Mm-hmm. But what I wanna say is is that one of Pixar's strengths is world building. We've seen it in countless of their films. Inside Out comes to mind. Even Soul comes to mind. Movies that only Monsters Incorporate, like Monsters, Inc. is one of the prime examples of this. They're very good, typically, at setting up, this is the world of these characters. This is how everything works. Here's how the mechanisms like operate. Because if you don't do that, none of those movies work, Right. Inside Out doesn't work unless you understand at least mostly how the inner, like, insides of Riley's mind work. You don't, like, Monsters, Inc. doesn't work unless you understand how the monster world works. Mm -hmm. This movie fails to set up the world building completely. We had, I watched this with friend of the show, Christy, and through this entire movie, we were asking, like, wait a minute, how does this work? Wait, what about this? wait, wouldn't so-and-so know this already kind of thing? Again, I don't want to get super spoilery, which is hard, but there are specific moments where I was like, there is a character that has admitted earlier in this film that they are familiar with how the how sea monsters operate when they're on land. The parents, however, do not seem to know this at all. The parents interact with this character presumably a lot. How did that character not tell the parents what's up? With up with up on the surface, did they just say, "No, we don't want to talk about it." No, don't tell us anything. They also don't understand how gender apparently works on uh on like or how like people look on the land. It's 
there's so many holes in the mechanism of what it is to be a sea monster who is transported onto land. And yeah, you're, the easy explanation is, well, they don't want to go up there, so they don't talk about it. But again, you have a character who in one of the first scenes of this film establishes that they go up to land all the time. You can't have that and then have that not pay off in any way. And it pay off in a joke line at the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, it pays off in a visual gag at the end, but it's you should have used that as a setup for other people. It's there's, yeah, there's so Pixar many moments, yeah, here in basic Pixar storytelling. It, yeah, there's m- so many moments like that where we're watching and we're just like, you think they would be better than this? You think that they would have figured out a way around this that wouldn't seem so obvious? But count like time and time again in Luca, it just seems like they were just like. I don't know, it's fine, and left it hanging instead. And there were too many moments in this movie for me. And again, it's hard for me to figure out whether the comparison is an unfair comparison because they've set the bar so high for themselves, or if there are legitimate story issues here. I honestly do not know, um, because we only really have other Pixar work to compare to Pixar work. So... Well, yeah, what else are you going to compare it to? Yeah, I mean, like DreamWorks films? Like, I don't know. Like, it's hard because what I will say about the movie is that there are moments of really cool stuff here. Um, I really like the idea of having it be about two best friends at its core. But even that kind of gets fumbled towards the end of the movie where it doesn't know whether it wants to commit to that storyline or not. Um. But when it does, when it does commit to it, it's fresh. It's a fresh take on two boys who are becoming very, very close. Also, real quick, yes, the internet is convinced that there is a um, there is a gay storyline here. And you know what? I'm practically positive that a lot of the writers intended it that way. There are scenes that unmistakably have that subtext. Disney, of course, is not committing to that narrative. And the film does not commit to that narrative. The film itself, at the by the end of it, basically settles, I don't know, they're all friends, kind of. But I don't know, they're really emotional about their friendship. But I don't know. There's no, there's no committing. There's no committing, especially after seeing Mitchell's versus the Machines, which absolutely commits to that narrative by the time its runtime is over. Kind of disappointing in that way. But um but still, those moments, they feel fresh. They feel like they haven't been done before. Just how, when we were talking about Onward last year, Onward also had moments where it was feel, felt fresh to be about a story about a, a father and son and brothers. Like, that felt unique because we hadn't seen a whole lot of that. This is close in that same way, but doesn't even go as far as Onward did to get that emotional heartstring pull. It does not do enough to get there. Um, it definitely tries though there are definitely moments that it does try to pull on them and unless you're buying into the story it doesn't work like you said this goes back to raising the stakes and to even go further back than that the antagonist is just subpar (laughs) he's boring Yes. The guy's boring. What, what's like, his motive? I don't know motives for him. Yeah. It's just win the competition. Yeah, he just wants to be the okay, best. Okay, that's it? He just wants to be the best and he wants to be a jerk about it. 
Um, and there's one, like, that was the one scene I was referring to earlier where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, it's established that maybe he could do something to our protagonist if he chose to. There is a threat, briefly. But the rest of his character makes that threat hard to believe. He doesn't sell it outside of that scene that he can actually pose a threat. You could have had a Beauty and the Beast moment at the end. Yeah. You could where have. the town's folks all rage against the monsters. Yeah. Very they, easily. They pulled the punch but in a lot it. of ways with the ending here. And there's an argument to be made here that maybe the expectation for what this thing is has been, like I said, the bar has been raised so high because of Pixar's pedigree. Right. Also, because of the kind of this, I had zero expectation because sure. I didn't really know what it was about. Yeah. It was Sea Monster going on land into town. Not only that, though, but they've also established a precedent for the kind of stories they tell. Right. An argument could be made here that maybe that's not the kind of story they wanted to tell here. Maybe they wanted to tell something lower stakes. A lot of people are comparing this, the storytelling in this film, to the storytelling in Ghibli films. It's more slice of life than it is high drama, is basically the argument a lot of people are making. And maybe if you read the film that way, it's maybe more successful for you. Because if it's operating on a lower expectations for how big the stakes ever get, then maybe you don't have that anticipation and maybe the ending works for you. I wasn't that viewer, but maybe that viewer is out there. I don't know. The ending seemed to come too easy. There wasn't a whole lot of hurdles the main character had to overcome. Yeah, certainly. Okay, any other thoughts about Luca uh, before we give it a probably a pass, I think, is what I'm feeling. All right, if we're giving it a pass, one doesn't rank in top 10 Pixar, I think, no, obviously. Doesn't make, doesn't make it. Top 20. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a conversation. Is it better than The Good Dinosaur? I don't know. I don't remember a lot of The Good Dinosaur. <laughs> I remember it looked pretty. <laughs> Luca does look pretty. Uh, it doesn't have any specific things that it does particularly well, uh, but it's solid looking. I know. I think it just has too many montages for me. It did. It had too many montages, too many um, dream sequences, which again, that smacks of story issues and makes me think of how many revisions this script had. Right. It really feels like it was probably built from the ground up several times. Well, anyway, so Luca is on Disney Plus. It's also in theaters now. I mean, see it, I guess, if you want to see, I guess, inoffensive family stuff uh it's fine for what it is but if you're expecting pixar greatness this is not it it's not an adult film mass as a kid's film it's a straight up kid's film it's a it's more of a kid's film than they've done in a while so if you're expecting soul you're not going to get soul here so anyway it's dare i say like it's for the kids it's for the kids it's for the kids it's for the kids pixar is for the kids All right, let's move on into television and let's talk about the sports corner, as we always do. Sports happened, continued to happen, I should say. John Ram 
won his first championship at the U.S. Open. With a- we discussed this two weeks ago, how to say his name, when he got COVID, remember? Oh, right. Rom. Yes. John Rom. John so, Rom. John Rom got Rahm. COVID, or tested positive for COVID. Right. Two weeks ago. But. And got his revenge. He has recovered. Got his revenge at the U.S. Open. One handily. You have here with a negative six score. Yes, shot six under par over the course of the weekend on one of the more difficult courses in the U.S., Torrey Pines. So congratulations, yeah. John Rom, and congratulations to your new baby as well. Super yeah. cute. Congratulations. Meanwhile, uh, in... Also note, this is his first win at a major and right. first PGA win. Right. Always in the top, never the winner. Until now. <laughs> Always bridesmaid, never bride, I see. Yep. But in the meantime, basketball is still in the process of wrapping up. The playoffs are happening. None of the four remaining teams in the playoffs this year have won a title since way back when the NBA merged with the ABA back in 1976-1977. The teams that are facing off are the Clippers versus the Suns, and the Bucks versus the Hawks. Uh, the Bucks narrowly beat the Hawks on Saturday night, uh, going into overtime, thanks to one Pokemon Durant. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then last night, the Clippers almost got a win with 0.9 seconds left on the clock. The Suns inbounded in a lob pass for a dunk to win the game. In a heartbreaking loss, the Suns now lead that series two games to none. And Clippers are once again have their backs against the ball. Yeah. Yes, we'll see what happens as those games wrap up. Yep. But either way, whoever wins, first championship in a long time, if ever. Fair enough. Well, we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, elsewhere in sports, hockey is also wrapping up with their semifinals. Canadians versus Golden Knights and the Islanders versus the Lightning. And just to give you a preview of how that's going, the Lightning won last night against the Islanders 8-0. to zero. Yikes. In hockey. Yeah, that's that's a that is not a hockey score That's that you usually hear. Nope. But impressive uh, nonetheless. So, um, I guess we can kind of count Lightning in the finals, even though they kind of won last year, which makes sense. But hey. Repeat. Let them repeat. repeat. Why not? Hey, why not? Couldn't, repeat. It couldn't hurt. Yep. Meanwhile, baseball is hurtling towards the All-Star Weekend. And of course, part of that is one of our favorites here at the Media Boat Podcast, the Home Run Derby. And already the first player to declare that they will be at the Home Run Derby is none other than our hometown hero, Shohei Otani. Uh, So yeah, can't wait to see him hit some dingers out there. Yep. Um, Currently, he is the favorite because he is the only one signed (laughs) up for it. That makes sense, (laughs) clearly. Uh, but yeah, hopefully this doesn't uh, ruin his swing as he swings for the fences. And I mean, it's gonna be fun. He's currently tied for the lead, has the lead. 
He's up there. He's probably tied. I don't think he has it yet. I don't think he but, passed um, yet. He's at 23 homers. Um, right. I think and, that is the lead. So, yeah, um, I would love to see him just do do well out there. That'll be a fun thing to watch. Yep. So that's First time up. that a pitcher has competed in the home run derby. Yeah. Because you're not supposed to. <laughs> hey, everything about Otani season has been wild so far, and it's just getting wilder, and it's not even close to being over. So we'll, we'll have to see uh, yep. how he Our- does. Our favorite anime character, Shohei Otani. <laughs> and put in real life. Yep. All right. Next up, speaking of baseball, big baseball thing that happens very rarely happened this week with the Yankees. They pulled off a rare triple play. Yeah. Three yeah. outs on one play. Not only yeah. did they do it one game, they did it twice, two days later. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's hot um, stuff. Currently, they have three on the season. One more, and they tie the record for most triple plays in a season. Damn. Not by a team, by like all of MLB yeah. in a season. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, yeah, they're hard to do in case you, you're wondering. Uh, so like, that's why they don't happen a lot. But uh, yeah, it requires two men on base, and <laughs> yes. then they all get out at the same time. Right. It's wild, wild, wild stuff. But we'll see what happens as they continue play. Then moving into football, just a quick little football note as they start getting ready to uh, uh, approach their training in the coming months. Uh, We have news about a player and a first in the league. Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib is now the first active player to come out as gay. So congratulations to Carl here. Not to be confused with the first openly gay man drafted in the NFL which but, happened a couple of years ago, Michael Sam by the Rams. Right, but active uh, on the roster. So. Yes. Uh, he came out and, well, one, he came out, but two, in his statement, yeah, uh, he said that he hopes one day news like this won't be news and it will be the norm. Hopefully, yeah. I hopefully. mean, that should be the case. So, yeah, hopefully we'll get yep. there soon. Um. The Raiders, in, when this came out, the Raiders are donating $100,000 to, I think, the Trevor Project. Okay. I think that's what it was. I'm not that sure, but sense. they're donating $100,000 in his name and part of the Raiders organization. Cool. Very cool. Love to see that. Any other sports bits before we move on into television news? Side sports bits. Um, the Supreme Court actually heard a case yes. against the NCAA. Indeed, they and did. Whether they should pay athletes or not. Well, not really, but it challenged the amateurism when the NCAA makes a lot of money, yet the players and their likeness necessarily don't. Yeah. Um, they did not side with the NCAA, suffice to say. Right. Especially when you're a billion dollar nonprofit, yet you don't really see any of that nonprofit <laughs> work right. go towards helping the kids. Or helping the athletes and students. And it's also hard to stand on one leg when your coaches are being paid millions of dollars. Yeah, a little bit. Yep. But yeah, uh, nonetheless, good to see um, some movement uh, in the federal court about this, uh, showing the NCAA that they've been wrong, and they've been wrong for a while. Yes, while no official like law no, yeah, ruling no was changes. made, it was them just kicking it down, saying you need to come back with a better case. Right. 
Okie dokie. Anything else in sports that we want to mention before we move on? I think so. Not this week. All right. Then let's move on into our first story of television news this week, where we talk about a way to see game shows in a light that you maybe haven't seen them before. And that's in a museum. I mean, we like our game shows, but... It's true. A museum of game shows? Well, let's talk about it. So this takes us, this news takes us to the Strong National Museum of Play. The museum is currently host to the National Toy Hall of Fame and the World Video Game Hall of Fame, and has been set to be the host for the first of its kind National Archives of Game Show history. Their plan is to gather ticket stubs, photographs, set pieces, and other memorabilia that documents one of television's most popular genres. Artifacts will go on display in 2023, after a $60 million renovation project that will add 90,000 square feet to its grounds. Curators will conduct oral history interviews with game show developers, technicians, hosts, and iconic contestants, as well as collect sources into 1950s rigging scandal, the 1950s rigging scandal, that threatened to end primetime quiz shows. If you want to learn more, watch the movie Quiz Show. Donations are currently being accepted by the Museum of Play for any and all artifacts. That's a pretty cool idea. I would love to see like podiums from sets. I would love to see like suits that hosts wore. Like they said, ticket stubs. Uh, they're looking at getting ticket stubs, um, dresses from Vanna White on Wheel mm-hmm. of Fortune, some podiums mm-hmm. from Jeopardy, Yeah. Um, some... I mean, there's a lot of game shows that we can just like name off our head. 21, Card Shark. Yeah. Um, Deal or No Deal even is technically yeah. a game show. Who wants to be a millionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? Uh, the Dating Game. <laughs> there's plenty of plenty of material. Hell, even the kids stuff that Nickelodeon is doing like Double Dare. Yep. That, um, that counts as uh, yeah. game shows. I would love to see all, the, all, like, all that stuff. That sounds like a real fun time. I had our I already knew about the strong thanks to the video game hall of fame thing that they do. Um, so yeah, that's very cool that they're kind of getting into all sorts of what they expanding the definition of play to include all sorts of these different, these different things. It's very cool. Yeah. Uh, I believe this museum is in New York city. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. I believe you're correct. So next time you make a trip out to New York uh, yeah. past 2023, <laughs> yes. gotta hit this up. Check it out. All right, for our second story, we move to the prestige of the Peabody Awards. A total of 60 nominees were announced in May that represented the most compelling and empowering stories released in broadcasting and streaming media during 2020. Uh, That was in quotes. And we now have our winners. The winners for entertainment are The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and Ted Lasso, media boat favorite, for uh, also for documentary is Asian Americans, which aired on PBS, and Time, that aired on Amazon Studios. For podcasts and radio, Floodlines from The Atlantic, and news, and for news, our full disclosure from KNX TV, and Frontline, China Undercover from PBS. And for children's and youth programming is another media boat favorite, The Owl House. So congratulations to all the Peabody Awards. A good roundup of winners this year. Yep. Uh, for that podcast and radio, Floodlines is a retelling and interviews and uh, shorts and kind of documentary style uh, news bits about Hurricane Katrina mm. and kind of the 
foreshadowing and then aftermath of everything that happened. That makes sense. So if you're into a podcast, that's <laughs> not the Mediaville podcast. Oh, how, how dare you? How, one, how dare you? Two, check that out because it's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And also congratulations to Mediaville favorite Ted Lasso. Yes, yes. Ted Lasso and The Owl House, two of my favorite shows from last year. So I'm happy yep. to see both of them there. Yep. Uh, also, uh, Stephen Colbert, upon hearing this news, Mm-hmm. showed off his peabody on his show in front of, of all the audience because of course he does of course oh directly by poop jokes because of course you do because of course it's award-winning yeah. television yes all right on that note award-winning podcasting is happening right here as we pivot into our next segment which is television thoughts you watched a handful of shows this week yes i did uh the first show i watched is kind of a follow-up to last year's show, right. I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Yes. Well, since that premiered on HBO, the killer had been caught, tried, right. and convicted. Well, to follow up on that show, because it was a success for HBO, a special epilogue episode has been released, which goes into that specific trial and some interviews with some of the people who were there and who were victims. Okay. Um, Real quick, it's just a quick epilogue, but for anyone who, like me, really liked that show and either, I mean, we followed up here on Mutual Podcast because we talked about it when it happened, but in case you missed it, it's there. Um, it's now kind of, as a complete cap on the story, unlike with the original series, original run, where it did kind of end on a cliffhanger because they hadn't caught caught him yet mm-hmm. uh this ends adds that kind of nice end cap cherry on top to the story so now that's, it feels yeah. complete and you can put it to rest that's good that's good it's and that's that's one of the interesting things about doing something that's an incomplete story when you air it originally is you do have that opportunity to kind of have like a final final say on it when there is a development um television made in front of our eyes Happens every day. <laughs> yes, on Disney. Okay, uh, <laughs> so let's move on to the next thing that you watched. Uh, something uh, a little less, uh, I guess, um, information. <laughs> no, not information heavy. A little more <laughs> relaxed. Um, yeah. Just if you haven't been paying attention, or you know, for men of a certain age, <laughs> sure. not the show. Rick and right. Morty is back. Uh, season one or episode yep. season five, episode one premiered on Sunday. The first se- uh, first episode is actually available for free on YouTube um, because that's how they're going to get people and right. remind people to hey, Rick and Morty's back. They did the Tune same thing with Sunday. they did the same thing with Tuca and Birdie last week when it premiered, and it's just wild to me that these two shows are back to back on Adult Swim. Yes, they are. They could not be any more different than each other. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's back. Um, it's very Rick and Morty. If you didn't still like that the show. previous season, it's still that show. Yeah, It's their bread and butter. They're going on, I think, we reported on, they have eight seasons in total that they're writing for. So Yeah, they've got a lot to come. they got a lot to cover and a lot of different uh, characters to introduce and reintroduce. And yeah. we'll see if any of this actually matters at the end of it. Yeah, we'll see. Um <laughs> Okay, short but sweet. I like it. I mean, <laughs> Just like, hey, Morty, you know what this you know is. What you're yeah. with Rick and Morty at this point. Fair enough. 
Okay, for the last I mean, one. Expect the memes everywhere. Expect new memes from that. For this uh, last thing that you watched, I have no idea what this is. Uh, so, this is actually in reference to the 1996 Olympic Games that happened in Atlanta. Okay. Um, I, I realize I have written this backwards. It is not <laughs> 69. Uh, it is the 96 effect. Wow. It's, so it's not as nice as I thought it was going to be. No. I mean, it is still very nice, though, <laughs> because it deals with the effect that Title IX had when it got enacted mm-hmm. and how the 1996 Olympic Games were the first time that women competed as a team sport at uh, such a high level. I see. And won gold from it. And how that kind of ignited kind of the the sports that happened from it. Mm-hmm. Um, how it follow, uh, talked about the, it's, it's real short, it's like 25 minutes, uh, Peacock exclusive. Um, there's three episodes, so you can get this whole thing done in like an hour-ish. Okay. Real fast. Uh, it talks about the women's uh, gymnastics team. Uh, with Carrie Strug and how them winning and the famous vault kind of propelled them to stardom and people paying attention to women's gymnastics and as they do now with Simone Biles headed to the Olympics. Still to this day, pretty much the focal point, especially now after some of the big uh, swimming heroes have retired most of the press you get at a modern Summer Olympics is going to be about that limp, uh, about that uh, gymnastics team. Mm-hmm. They're definitely the favorites uh, It's going also in. the first time that the U.S. had won the gymnastics gold medal. Mm-hmm. So it was a big deal and kind of, you know, we see that effect to this day. Yeah, that's The 96 effect. Not to mention women's soccer. Well, they um, also talk about yeah. women's soccer in here as well, how... Yeah. They competed to win gold and then from there formed their own soccer league as well. And thus also inspired the next generation of female soccer players. Which we're now seeing dominate now. Yes. So. Uh, Also, it talked about softball. Women's softball, as it was the first time in 1996 that the women's softball was competing at the Olympic events. And how that kind of introduced a lot of girls that they can play sports, that they're, it's not limited to just a boy sport, that they yeah. can play it. And that even now in 2021, it's took about two, eight year hiatus, but it's coming back this year. Right. And so we get to see that effect as well. Yeah. And then also uh, women's basketball from 1996 Olympics, that even though they got silver ended up winning in silver and lost in the gold medal match that the core members on that team eventually played in the WNBA and eventually all of them eventually ended up in the basketball hall of fame mm-hmm. and how they inspired the next generation of female basketball players that we see to this day so, so it's cool all, it's cool that all yeah. that is just a nice microcosm on to the 19th 19- <laughs> That it can all be pointed back to yeah. the 1996 Olympics. Quite an inflection point for a lot of what we see as modern um, modern sports for women. So that's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's available on uh, Peacock. 
highly suggest you check it out because it's really fun. I mean, it is the 25th anniversary from right. those Olympics. So yes. they had a lot of, well, now a lot older players from the professional athletes from then doing interviews and talking about it, which if you haven't seen any of those interviews before then, what are you doing? They're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> They're there if you look, but it's nice that it's all here and it's kind of this very honed in microcosm, put it under the microscope lens of yeah. how that those 1996 Atlanta Olympics, how impactful it was, how it inspired all these uh, female athletes that from there. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, I'll have to check that out. Uh, and lastly, um, just quick bit, it is Conan's last week, which means right. if you haven't seen it on the internet yet, but Paul Rudd decided to crash Conan and give <laughs> him one final parting gift of the clip of Mac and me. <laughs> yes. As he always says to do and shows up, never yes. gives him an actual yes. clip. It's always the Mac and me. Clip. Always. It's tradition. As is tradition. <laughs> That's fun. Yep. Uh, so that's available on YouTube if you don't want to watch the whole interview, but <laughs> it's hilarious. He actually pops up during a Bill Hader uh, interview and it's like, ha, hilarious. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> all right, cool. If that's all you watched, then I did not watch anything of note. So that means we can roll right into our next segment, which is cancellations and renewals. All right. What am I no longer watching? Well, you're still watching Legendary on HBO Max as they have renewed that for the third season. Meanwhile, Hulu has renewed their version of The Hardy Boys for a second season. Netflix has candled Grand Army after one season. And Fox has canceled The Moody's after two. Netflix also canceled Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me after just one season. And Hulu has renewed Solar Opposites, also from Rick and Morty uh, creator uh, Justin Roiland, for a fourth season. Uh, that's extended. They're going to extend the third season and introduce a fourth season into that as well. Third season is yet to premiere. And then lastly, Showtime has renewed Z-Way. I think it's Z-Way. Z-Way? I've only seen it on a poster. Season. Yeah, same. What was he going to written? No idea what it is. Yeah, Z-Way. So there you go. And then, just real quick, just a quick death for you. Um, Champ, age 12, a presidential dog. Current presidential current presidential dog. Joe Biden's dog. Yes, current, current, well, I guess now former. Um, well, well, he's the current president, but now right. it's former <laughs> yes. president dog. Yes, I guess. Um, so yeah, no, not as only, not the family's only dog, as um, definitely the less reported on dog compared to, um, what's the other one's name? Major. Uh, Major, yeah. Um, Major biting everybody. Major, yes. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's still, still sad. You never want to see a dog go, uh, dog pass away. It's always sad, no matter who it happens to. Yes, but it does bring out uh, the poem of Rainbow Bridges, Every single time an important dog passes away. Yes. Or your dog passes away. Yes, it's true. Peace to all the dogs out there. All right, let's move on to the second half of the show. I toss this over to you and we talk about some music. 
And we'll always start the music with the billboard. And we start the billboard with the Hot 100. And it's summertime. Because BTS is rocking the charts once again with <laughs> butter. 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 By BTS is your number one song. Uh, at number two, Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. Can't seem to pass them. Uh, also, can't seem to pass them. Levitating, number three. Uh, Levitating by Dua Lipa featuring the baby. Uh, at number four, Kiss Me More by Doja Cat featuring SZA, your new yep. breaking into the top five song this week. And rounding out your top five, Peaches by Justin Beecher. 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 Justin, Justin Beecher. Beecher featuring Daniel Caesar and Givian. Yes. Uh, so yeah, Kiss Me More by Doja Cat, your only new song of the week. Otherwise, everything just moved down. Uh, well, your top three stayed the same. That's why I mean. Yeah, of course they do. It's summertime. Yeah, of course. Uh, as for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, at number one is Hall of Fame by Polo G. Did not see this coming. <laughs> Shrug. Uh, at number two, Culture 3 by Migos. Yes, those Migos. <laughs> yes. Uh, at number three, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. At number four, The Voices of the Heroes by Lil Baby and Lil Dirk. <laughs> and rounding out your top five, Dangerous Colin the Double album yeah. by Morgan Wallen. Because of so course, close. it's still there. But almost, we just so need to push it out. Just one more record. Come on, one more record. Just push it out. Well, Maybe it'll be one of these records, because if you like any of those albums, we have new releases. Well, I guarantee at least one of these will. (laughs) (laughs) All right. First up, we have Planet Her by Doja Cat. And that's the one that does it. (laughs) Oh, you think so? Yeah, that's what I think. Doja Cat will chart next week. Okay. Uh, We also have Quietly Blowing It (laughs) by His Golden Messenger. Or is it His? I think it's his. We also have A Color of the Sky by Lightning Bug. It's a cute band name. (laughs) Uh, Home Video by Lucy Dacus. Lucy Dacus, yes. This is probably my most looked forward to record releasing this year. Just letting you know. Lucy Dacus from? She's a solo artist, but she's also she also performs in um, a group called Boy Genius with Phoebe Bridgers and Julian Baker. That's what I'm. Maybe where you've seen her perform. Yep. Uh, we also have the Golden Casket by Modest Mouse. Yes, yes, that, that Modest, Modest Mouse. Mouse. <laughs> uh, and then there's Planet One. Yeah, I guess by Squirrel Flower. <laughs> You know, ahead of the release of Planet Two and possibly <laughs> Planet Three. Yeah, could have a plan. Uh, <laughs> you also have Dark in Here by Mountain Goats, and then the album I think is going to chart next oh, year. You might be right. Call Me If You're Lost by Tyler, comma the Creator. Yeah. 
this was a surprise announcement. He uh, dropped this out of nowhere last week and said it's coming out Friday. Um, so yeah, who knows what this really is? Uh, we don't know. Might be a mixtape. Might be a full album. Might be a double yeah. album. No one knows for sure. Won't be but the we last do time. Know we... Yeah, people are gonna listen to it because it's Tyler, comma the creator. Yeah. Also, won't be the last time we'll talk about Tyler on this podcast. We'll mention his name a little later. Yep. Uh, so as with a as that's all we have for new releases. Mm-hmm. Let's get to some music news then. Yes. And we start with some music bits. Yes, we've gathered it all into some bits for you. Not a very um, important week, but a lot of small things happened. In fact, one breaking thing that I'm going to add at the end of this. Yep. Uh, first up, in case you missed it, or yes. in case your best friend missed it and hasn't told you yet... <laughs> Oh, you didn't know this? What? You didn't know this yet? Oh, no, I know. But okay. in case you <laughs> out there listening have missed it, we are here to tell you that Taylor Swift, yes. yes, that Taylor Swift. It happened. It happened. She announced her next album, and it's not what you think. Uh, so if there was a Vegas oddboard for this, um, y'all lost. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you should have gone for the long shot that is red. Taylor's version. Coming out November nineteenth of this year. Yes, totally bypassing all those fan theories about nineteen eighty nine. Um, but when you think about it, it makes sense because yes, it makes it makes you wonder why she's skipping around so much. But but logically, there's a lot of like there's a lot of reasons why she would want to do this album like narrative wise because just like fearless this was a pivot album for her it was not the full fully ensconced in pop album that 1989 is it was the i don't know let's try out writing with max martin let's try out these different sounds and that was red so it's a move that is reminiscent of the move for her to do start with fearless which is what are the albums that defined my career and i think that's the way she's doing it this so far also red has the hits it does it's probably a lot of i think the fan um opinion is that this is her best uh that seems to be the um the consensus take is that most people will agree except for the outliers who i guess are now convinced by folklore uh but but red has been the classic example of her best record um so yeah uh we'll see what happens uh i'm especially excited we're especially excited to see, uh, especially excited right now, um, <laughs> but especially excited to see whether um, that that ten minute version of uh, All Too Well and how many swears are in it. <laughs> there's been this. There's a piece of Taylor Swift lore that is that before Red came out, she had recorded a long version of All Too Well that was like full of like swearing and like more specific digs at Jake Gyllenhaal. So maybe we'll get that. I mean, 10 <laughs> minutes is a long time to, to swear. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're Martin Scorsese, you can get a hundred swears yeah. in that 10 minutes. You get a lot in that 10 minutes. <laughs> so hey, maybe she's out to get Scorsese to run for his money here. I don't know. But yes, very exciting. And it makes sense that she chose red. I will be thrilled when this thing comes out. Yeah. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, on the flip side of the Taylor uh, fan yes. base, yes, like 
as far off there as you could probably get. <laughs> yes. Is Scooter Braun. Yeah. Who did an interview with Variety. Uh, and he said that he regrets how the purchase of Big Machine went down and states that he offered to sell Taylor Swift her catalog under an NDA that Taylor would silence her forever and kind of wishes her the best. So, okay. So to explain what I mean by that, because it doesn't come across really unless you're looking at it. So in the interview, he said that he basically corroborated Taylor's uh, claim that she had said before about how this went down, that Big Machine, or the, the, uh, Ron did come to her and say, I'm willing to sell these back to you. The catch was, though, is that he would only do so under NDA. And if you don't know what that means, if you're not you know deep in business lingo, that's basically a non-disclosure agreement. And that means that She would basically have to read the fine print and decide whether it's actually beneficial for her to sign that document or not. Taylor and her people, allegedly, according to Taylor, um, understood that the document would basically prohibit her from talking about maybe possibly some negative things about the transaction. Um, And that's where that quote comes from, where she said it would, quote, silence her forever. Um, So they didn't think it was a good deal, so they refused to sign In the interview, Scooter Braun doesn't understand that side of it and says, hey, we tried to make a deal and their people were, her people were the people who said no. Basically saying that he was coming into it in good faith. Yes, of course, if you ask Taylor, she'd probably argue that the terms were not in good faith on her side. And so that's why they ended up not making a business deal with them. I mean, also just with an NDA, any slip of the tongue Mm -hmm. that you might have at any moment in your career say 20 years down the line it all just gets reverted back instantly just because of one mishap yeah it's not it wasn't worth it to her a person who recently has been taking advantage of her ability to speak her mind about Mm -hmm. what she thinks about things that would have made that a little bit of a harder thing to negotiate um but yeah ultimately he kind of ended that segment of the interview by saying like Oh, I think it's unfair that her fans and her are calling me a bully. Like, I never intended to any ill will. When we did interact briefly with each other, it was always in good terms, of course, before all that went down. And she's like, yeah, I just don't understand where they're coming from, but I wish her well. And basically, like, I don't know. I don't buy a second of it. Um, but, but at least he's out there, I guess, saying his side of the story as weak of an argument as it is is so we'll see. but is this side of the story like two years too late and then that and also it doesn't really add much to it it basically says that taylor was telling the truth the whole time is basically mm-hmm. this just this just confirms that she probably did make the right call here i mean i would i mean yeah now she's the one benefiting from it in the long run because she's the one now that gets to make money all over again by re-releasing all her records puts her back to the driver's seat yeah, it's like, it's just like, if you, any way you shake it, she's going to end up on the other side of this in probably better shape than she even was before. And I don't think you can say the same thing about Scooter Braun. Um, so yeah, an interesting interview. Nonetheless, if you want to, if you want to check it out, go to uh, Variety. She's also on the cover of their magazine this month. Hmm. So yeah. Tinder, Kindlingwood, you think? <laughs> Whatever you want to do with that magazine, you can do. That's up to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can, because, hey, they bought it. Yeah. Or, you know, don't buy it. Send a message. 
All right. <laughs> okay. uh, other music bits. Uh, so the past two weeks, Lord has been in our news. Yes. Because she released a photo, <laughs> and then she released a, a, a music single. video. Yep. Well, now she's releasing a tour. Only yeah. the next logical step, right? Right. And a release date for the record. Yes. Lord confirms August 20th as the release date for Solar Power alongside 2022 tour dates. Yes. Lord's on tour. Yes. Yes. 2022 being the key thing there. Uh, this, of course, coincides with her attending the Primavera Sound Festival in uh, Barcelona. Um, so yeah, it makes sense that she'd already be on the road. So why not do a global tour? So that is what she's doing. You can, um, I believe do pre-sale tickets soon, um, for those, those dates. Uh, she'll be swinging through here. I want to say in like April or May. Um, so yeah, if you're interested, go get them. Yep. Um, but if you're not into the younger generation and more <laughs> on the older side, let's say, let's say, well, I mean, we're talking like older generation, not like 80s, like older than that. Possibly your parents' parents at this point. You could just say if you're a boomer. Eh, I don't want to use that slur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. I mean, my mom would be excited about this, at least, because she's a big Beatles fan. And yes, yes. I'm bearing the lead here. The Beatles <laughs> documentary, Get Back, uh, which is, I believe, by Peter Jackson. Yes, that is directed by Peter Jackson. That Peter Jackson. That Peter Jackson. Uh, will be not a film, but rather an extended miniseries. Yes. Three episodes debuting on Disney Plus mm-hmm. over the Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, this is kind of neat. So previously reported, it was going to be a film, a documentary film based on the um, the recording of the, I believe, the Let It Be sessions. Um, yes. And that will remain this, the case, but it will be split into three parts. Um, early word is already coming down the pipe about some people who have seen a version of this, and opinions are varying, let's say. Uh, but but yeah, for Beatles fans, it'll be a nice little peek behind the curtain at those sessions. It is of note that Peter Jackson did do the um, World War One documentary. And used uh, restoration footage on that. So we could see right. some restoration never before seen footage in this as well. That would be neat. One could only hope. Yeah, that would be neat. If you want to see uh, uh, John Lennon's uh, face in a higher resolution than you've ever seen it before, this might be the thing you need to see. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. Um, well, if a Beatles documentary isn't your thing, how about a video of someone of recent thing like yeah. Billie Eilish you might not want to watch this one <laughs> you may want to avert your eyes that's because Billie Eilish yeah. but because she's uh, recorded in a video that surfaced of her using that was me Asian slur <laughs> uh which is a Tyler the comma the creator lyric so okay let me explain what I mean by that, that she was singing along to a Tyler the creator song mm-hmm. that happens to have a a a, a a term a derogatory term for asian people and there was video of this released i guess a fan released a kind of supercut of a bunch of her old videos and put that up on social media and this went viral and she basically saw it was like oh shoot how did that get out and basically had to apologize for it so to be extra clear here because this is the thing that a lot of the headlines are leaving out 
she was singing a song. So she was quoting it, which doesn't, I mean, it's a little bit of different, different context when you consider that. That being said, should she have sang it? Probably not. But it just adds a little bit more context to the situation. But she did release a statement apologizing for the video. And Well, so. now we just do a super cut of everyone singing porn in the USA. <laughs> and that Asian slur as well. <laughs> yeah, so, you know what? Like people made mistakes. I mean, Tyler, the creator, I mean, he's made it like a, one of the biggest points of his career to completely like forget that era of his career. Uh, he used to be known for being very offensive and shocking. He's not that person anymore. And he will admit that he's not that person anymore. And that's not the kind of music he makes. So I don't blame necessarily blame Billy for being in that mindset when it was because at the time she was just singing along to a song she enjoyed. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's complicated thing. Things change over time. Uh, I don't think anybody, you know, 10 years ago knew everything that they did was going to be on, you know, a social media channel. I don't think anybody anticipated that even somebody as young as Billie Eilish. Um, that doesn't make it better, but uh, it just, yeah, it's just with the context, it's a little bit makes a little bit more more sense. Right, and it's something that we've kind of learned over the past 10 years. It's that the internet never forgets. Yeah, yes, it's true. So yeah, I just want to make sure that we're clear here. She's not, she did not pull a Morgan Wallen here. This was not something that she said out of her own will, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yes. it's a little bit different. So keep that in mind. But still, nonetheless, it's good that she apologized. And lastly, Metallica. Yes. Yeah. Still kicking around, that Metallica <laughs> has announced the Black Album release will include a tribute album of Gift covers. Should say re-release there. Yes, uh, re-release. Celebrating a milestone anniversary, I forget which one. I want to say maybe 30. 30. 30 sounds right. Um, so yeah, uh, one of their most famous records. Um, and one of the extra discs will be 53 covers of Metallica songs by other artists. Uh, all sorts of names are on this thing. Uh, it sounds really cool. So similar to the Brooks and Dunn rebooted album, just <laughs> yeah. nothing but covers. Right. Uh, Black album and 53 minutes song, 53 songs? Not minutes, 53 right? 53 different songs covered by different artists of Metallica songs. I think specifically songs from the Black album. Okay. So it's a neat idea, and I'm glad that they yeah. were game for it. And it's not just big names, too. There's some smaller names in there as well. So it's pretty exciting. Wait, so this mean that someone downloaded Metallica's album and re-recorded Metallica's album and is playing it for other people for profit? Because I don't think <laughs> Lars is against is for that. <laughs> he has made his stance fairly clear over the years. Uh, guess they were okay. They're okay if they're getting paid for. Anyway. Give that royalty check on that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, did you have another story? Or was that it? That's all of the music stories that are fit to print this week, all gathered in a bits for you. But there is one thing I want to mention before we go. This was breaking news right before I, we recorded here. Remember a while ago, we talked about that there was going to be a date sometime in June of this year where Britney Spears would be able to speak on her own behalf about her conservatorship in court. Well, that day was today. And there is a quote out there uh, that she did make a statement. And... We called it, more or less. 
she decided to take the, I'm just going to be completely honest about this route. And she went off about it. She likened the situation to being in prison. And she, there's a quote about her saying that, oh yeah, also she said that she want, she believes that anybody involved in this, including her father, should be in prison because of this. And she also said on top of all of that, that she does not want to be, quote, enslaved by anyone. So some real powerful choice of words going on in the statement today. So if anybody wasn't convinced already um, about Brittany's well-being, I think that they are now after hearing out of her own mouth. Yep. Um, also, um, several artists have come out in support of Britney Spears, yes. including Mariah Carey, Brandy, Rose McGa- uh, and Rose McGowan. So... It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to make an argument against at this point. Um, I don't think there's any way you can possibly root against her um, after this. So good Uh, for her. Good for her uh, getting out there, uh, maintaining her autonomy, and hopefully this will make a change. Also, uh, I've seen this breaking news as well. Blink-182 fans. (laughs) Yes, this was also breaking news. Um, Singer, uh, Singer, right? Yeah. Mark Hoppus yeah. has cancer. Yeah, apparently he's been um, dealing with... I'm sorry, bassist. Pro- bassist, Mark Bassist, but also singer, singer in a lot of yeah. the songs, especially more now. Um, but um, but yeah, he, to say that he's been um, battling it for, what, three years at this point? I, there's a three uh, number? For the past three months. Three months. He's undergone three months. chemotherapy. So yeah, um, kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, doesn't say what type of cancer. Yeah, I'm not sure, but um, nonetheless, um, yeah, that's that's rough. Yep, uh, I don't see, especially since the last album was last year for quarantine. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he must have recorded with it at least. Possibly, um, if he uh, even knew. If he, if he even knew. Um, yeah, that's rough. That's a rough diagnosis to get. I hope that um, I hope that uh, you know he gets the support he needs. I hope his family is okay. I hope the band uh, supports him in this trying time. Um, yeah, I can't imagine what that might be like. It's going to change a lot for him. Um, but yeah, I hope I hope that um, I hope that he has a system of support during this because it's going to be very difficult for him. But um, I think. I think they're, you know, he seems like a strong guy. He's a supportive dude. Um, he seems like he's not, he's only been good uh, in the scene that kind of Blink-182 helped create. He's helped shepherd a lot of smaller artists uh, get a bigger spotlight shown on them. And he just seems, yeah, they just seem like just overall great dudes over there in, in Blink. And I'm just happy to see, you know, the, their career succeed as much as they, they can. And so, yeah, I hope this doesn't slow him down. I hope he just keeps kicking ass. Um, so yeah, but yep. it's still pretty rough though. Also, uh, for all you nostalgia and kind of explains why I was, uh, listening to Blake 182 for like mm-hmm. the past month. Um, their album famously titled take off your pants and jacket. <laughs> yes. Celebrated 20 years. <laughs> it sure did. You know, it took me a very, very long time to figure out the joke in that title. I don't get. Just I, off your pants and jacket. I didn't get it as a kid. 
I only You're got it later. Yeah, I only got it much later in life. I was like, oh, that's a joke. Okay. <laughs> Took me a while. Anyway. Double entendre. Double entendre. <laughs> Let's move on. Why don't we? <laughs> Let's move on. Did you listen to any album? No, nah, not this week. I mean, I was... <sighs> Come on. I guess I did. I listened to that Slater Kenny record. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's, that, it's that's fine. your official. It's it's kind of disappointing. It's not great, but it's fine. Okay. Uh, I did not get to that her album. Okay. Fortunately, uh, I don't think I'll actually listen to an album. Just taking a little quick peek, and I'm not seeing anything that I saw. Nope. Uh, I got nothing. <laughs> All right. That means we can move on. All right. We can move on into video games. Wow. Speeding through this episode. Good. That's good. We need a short one this week. Yep. And we start video games with new releases. Yeah. We got quite a bit this week. Yep. We have Legend of Mana remastered for the PS4, Switch, and PC. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 for the Switch. Scarlet Nexus for the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. Curved Space for the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Switch, and PC. If you own it, you can get it. (laughs) Everything. Uh, We also have Disgaea 6. Disgaea? Disgaea? Gaea? 6, colon, Defiance of Destiny for the Switch. Uh, apparently, there's been five, and we have no idea about it. <laughs> I we also I, have. I knew what Disgaea is. To be fair, okay. Disgaea. <laughs> uh, we also have Sky: colon, The Children of Light for the Switch. Zombies ate my neighbors, and Ghoul Patrol for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. And lastly, a game I'll be talking about next week because yes. it's currently being downloaded for me at somewhere. Mario Golf colon Super Rush for the Switch. Yes, I'm very excited to hear your uh, Tales of Golf next week with that game. Tales of Mario Golf. Yes. All right, let's get into some video game news, shall we? Yeah, this is kind of a hybrid story here first. Two big studios are involved in here. And this yes. is also a follow-up to a story from last week. Yep. Warner and EA are both in the news this week. Yeah. Uh, starting with Warner selling Playdemic. Well, EA continues, as we talked about, EA continues to expand its mobile studios as the company has bought out Playdemic from Warner Brothers and AT&T. According to EA's press release on the acquisition, the company spent $1.4 billion yeah. bringing the golf, the golf Clash developer into its ranks. Warner Brothers released a statement as part of the press release, making the whole thing sound amicable, as the company is investing in creating games based on the company's franchises. Quote, We have enjoyed working with the talented team at Playdemic, or Playdemic. As they have grown 
Golf Clash beyond all expectations into a hit mobile game of tremendous longevity, said David Haddad, president of Warner Brother Games. Quote, while we have great respect for the Playdemic team, our decision to divest is part of our overall strategy to build games based on Warner Brothers' storied franchises. Warner seems to suggest that this is only if its studios... The only of its studios. Warner suggests that (laughs) this is the only of its studios that is being sold after the merger with Discovery. Mm -hmm. The rest will continue to be owned by Warner, which of course was the big question that we had when the merger happened. So that's the kicker. So what it looks like is, is that original reporting after the merger was like, is Warner Media going to want all these game studios? What are they going to do? So it seemed like the decision that they've reached is that they want to focus specifically on Warner Brothers IP through all of their studios that they own. Games Vertical from Warner synergy integration. Yep. Games from Warner is going are going to focus on Warner IP. So I guess one of the casualties of that was well, Playdemic is our mobile developer, and they seem to be having a lot of success with this already going game Golf Clash. Maybe we sell that for some money since that's not something we can really spin off into a WE property. So that's what they did. And EA was happy to buy it because they, like you mentioned at the top of the story, were in the market for mobile developers anyway. So it was a perfect transaction that made sense for both parties. Um, And yeah, I guess anybody who was worried about the Warner stuff kind of being left on the wayside, uh, this may be a relief for you because that means that a lot of that stuff's going to stay in-house, which means that if you're looking forward to DC-themed games those will still be in-house because they're going to still be under the Warner umbrella. So that's good news. I wonder how much Warner was actually getting from Playdemic through Golf Cash because that is a microtransaction-heavy game. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was a source of revenue, but maybe they're willing to take that. Maybe that's why the price was so high at $1.4 billion is like they were had to basically convince EA to make it worth all the money they were potentially losing from microtransactions. Right, because they can take that $1 million and divide it amongst their studios to help bolster it Yeah, 14,000 times over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Just yeah, to I... give you an idea of how big $1.4 billion is, it's $1 million 1,400 times over. Yeah. So needless to say, it seems like it was the right move. Uh I'm not super familiar with Playdemic's work or Golf Clash, but uh, but hey, maybe EA will uh, be a good home for them. Possibly. I mean, we'll see what EA wants them to do next or, you know, develop more, I assume develop more mobile games based on their properties. Probably. Or just sit there and just collect the cash from Golf Clash. <laughs> like, keep doing that. We like the microtransaction game. They yeah. know how to do it. We at EA endorse microtransactions. Yeah, keep keep cranking the money machine. <laughs> All right. Speaking All right, well, let's EA. stick with EA then, shall we? Yeah, this is just a brief uh, E3 update, or I guess now post-E3 update. Right, as they had their EA Play They haven't had it showcase. yet. That's what the story will is they? about. Yes. <laughs> because the EA Play, which is Electronic Arts Showcase, which is Definitely not part of E3. <laughs> Getting that key. out there. It's key. Uh, but part of Summer Game Fest mm-hmm. finally has time to go along with its July 22nd date. Oh, wait, no. So I guess this did happen. No, 
This is July 22nd. Oh, July. T- <laughs> Thank you. My my brain just turned off for a second there. Right, because they announced it <laughs> yesterday saying it's a month away. Yeah. The company has announced it will be holding a showcase at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time uh, on that Thursday, beginning with a pre-show before the main event. The show will be hosted by Austin Creed, not of Creed fame. I believe he's a wrestler. Yes. Um, so yeah. Not um, stone cold stone awesome. No. <laughs> he's awesome. So yeah, this is interesting because they put themselves way on an island by themselves uh, having this next month as opposed to sometime in June. Um, and who knows what they have for this? It seems like all signs point to finally showing off some gameplay of Dragon Age because they've only teased it the last few conferences they've had. This is also where they're going to do a big showcase of the next year of sports titles. So you'll see your Maddens and your FIFAs here. Um, and who knows what else? Maybe they have more information on the new Mass Effect that they announced last year. Uh, I'm sure the success of the Mass Effect uh, remasters recently has bolstered a little bit of excitement for that. Um, and a rumor just hit this week that there may be a reboot of Dead Space, the 360 PS3-era horror shooter um, in the works over there. So maybe we see that. Well, one thing they won't be announcing is the next cover athlete for Madden. Right, yes. Because that was announced last this past week. And it wasn't just one cover athlete. Oh, no. Oh, no. They took the cover athlete from Madden 20. Wait, no. Madden 19 and Madden 18 and smushed them together. Yep. Wait, no, it was Madden 20 and Madden 18. So I think it was 19. Madden 20 Anyways, <laughs> repeat cover athletes. Um, Patrick the Kid Mahomes and Tom Your Daddy Brady <laughs> uh-huh. are the cover athletes for this year's Madden. Makes sense. Which means Madden curse galore on both of them. Oh, I mean, we can only hope right now. We can only hope. Don't want to be mean, but uh, maybe to Brady, but not to Mahomes. Yeah. Uh, anyway. But it's so nice to have a father-son duo on the cover. <laughs> Father's Day just passed. I mean, <laughs> it's missed out on uh, it. But, but it yeah. also does mean that the highest scorer ever in the game of football will never grace the cover of Madden. Man, they could have done it too. Could have done it. Make a legacy edition. Yeah. Put Vinatieri, old man Vinatieri's leg on there, and have that on the cover. Old in quotes, old man Vinatieri. Called the old man cover. Old man edition. Old man edition. Because <laughs> <laughs> he is the goat. He scored the yeah. most points ever in football. Roll, How roll do you not the- acknowledge that? Roll up to the GameStop and be like, can I have the old man edition? <laughs> Please. Anyway, so tune in to that EA Play Showcase next month to find out about more about the old man edition of Madden 22 and more. Uh, and anyway. if they will ever do anything new with it. Yeah, who knows? I mean, technically they did new stuff last year, but it bounced off. I didn't see a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, I'm still incredibly curious what they do when we get to 2025. They already did a 25. They, there's already a game called Madden 25. Same thing they did with Madden 20, because there was already a Madden 20 edition. <laughs> was there? Yeah, it was XX. Oh, 
for the 20th anniversary. I think that wasn't the official name of it, but I think there was a version that they put out that was called that. Right. But Madden 25 was the name of every version of that game. So I don't know what the hell they're going to do. <laughs> Did they bring back 2025 and just have the whole year? Uh, might be removed from it that they won't get confused. And again, we would live in a world where Activision released two separate games called Call of Duty Modern Warfare. So who, all right. bets are off at this point. <laughs> anyway. I mean, movie studios do it all the time. They just put the yeah. year in parentheses. Yeah, that's true. All right. Oh. Anyway. Anyways, uh, let's talk about some video games, shall we? Yes. I played a brand new video game this week. I didn't. And I yeah, wanted I to play this game. I know yeah. you wanted to play this game. Like I said, hey, you can come over and play this game if you have time. Oh, God, stop tempting me. <laughs> anyway, Actually, yes, I played. Shoot, I might have time we'll on talk, Saturday. We'll, we'll talk, talk about after, this. We'll talk about it after the podcast. Just wait. We'll talk. For now, let's talk about the game that's on everybody's lips right now that owns a PS5, which is. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, as longtime uh, listeners of the podcast will know. Uh, Matt Ratchet and Clank as a series is a media boat favorite here, being especially a favorite of Mike's. He's played, what, every single game in the franchise at this point? Including All for One, which I know a lot of you <laughs> haven't played. Wow, yeah, I know. That's, that's dedication right there. Uh, so this, of course, is the newest, ver- newest title in the series. It... Um, Picks also up a lot Secret of Agent Clank, which I know a lot of you haven't played because I was a PSP original. Right, that's also true. Um, so yeah, this is a yet another Ratchet and Clank game, and uh, I'll tell you right off the top here, it's a real good one. Yes, I am happy yes. about. It. That's all I've yes. heard. It's a, it's a good one of those games. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's not really to say much story wise here. If you're a fan of the characters, all of your favorites are back in a new story. But this time, with brand new characters introduced, thanks to a dimensional portal mechanic that is introduced in this title. There is now parallel universe, just like Ratchet and Clank's, that involves people that are kind of like them, but maybe a little different. And the game uses that as a mechanic to jump back and forth between these uh, dimensions. Uh, to give the story a little bit more texture and to give the gameplay a little bit more variety. Um, And it totally works. So I'm about three hours in, uh, not very far in this game. From what I understand, it's got a lot of content in it. I've heard people finishing in around 15 hours, and that's not even with full completion. Uh, If you're somebody who likes to go back and make sure they get all the little trinkets, It'll take you even longer than that. So there's a lot of game here. And that's good because... And you can easily double that because there's mm-hmm. new game plus added to these as well. Yes. And yeah, so if you've ever played a Ratchet & Clank uh, game before, you more or less know what to expect here. It's a uh, fun platformer shooter. Um, one of the key mechanics is you're getting new weapons all the time, experimenting with them, leveling them up to get them to be stronger. Every once in a while, you're thrown into a more puzzly mode where usually your robot friend Clank takes control. The puzzle in this game is actually really, really cool. Um, And I enjoy it a lot more than the last Ratchet and Clank game I played, which was, I believe, A Crack in Time, uh, where those puzzles I could not wrap my head around. But these ones... Well, those were time puzzles. Yeah. These um, are, are 
a really cool version of that kind of same idea but a little bit easier for me to like spatially figure out and they're pretty fun so far um the game of course looks gorgeous it's taking full advantage of the ps5 hardware here um you know over the years ratchet and clank has been a series that a lot of people have very like have usually said like oh it looks like a pixar movie you're playing a pixar movie especially the like with the ps3 games well even more so now like this thing looks beautiful the cutscenes are all in engine you don't even have a separation anymore because you don't need to um everything runs really well there's the uh there's a it defaults to a 30 frames mode that has everything cranked up all the way including ray tracing um you can move it down to a 60 frames uh performance mode there's version with ray tracing without as well but that'll bring down the resolution in both those cases i'm playing at 30 and i have not noticed the frame rate being that off it's totally fine it looks beautiful for me so i'm going to probably stick with the default um maybe try the 60 at some point but i don't have a problem with the 30 um just looks great just fantastic lighting effects just the textures on everybody's like like all the, the creatures fur and the shiny metal on the robots is just just impeccable they just put so much work into this uh this game and you can see it in every in every way um as for new stuff i mean like i said there's the new puzzle mechanic with clank and there's stuff that is kind of spoilery that I don't want to get into about the differences between the parallel worlds. But generally, there's not a whole lot of new here. You're basically going in to expect the same kind of Ratchet and Clank game that you've ex- you played in the past. But that's not a bad thing. Because don't make games, it sound like a bad yeah, thing. It's not a bad thing because those fun. games play really well, and this is uh, no difference. It takes advantage of the controller as well. The DualSense, um, it does a lot of the same stuff that uh, Astrobot does, uh, where you can feel every footstep in the controller. There's different kinds of vibrations for different kind of experiences you're in. Like if you're in the rain, for example, you can feel the pitter-patter of it. Um, it takes full con- full advantage of all the different things that the, P- uh, the PS5 is really good at. Yeah, um, I'm only scratched the surface, though. I'll be able to... Oh, yeah, the last thing I want to mention... The story is actually really interesting so far. Um, how it sets up the two parallel worlds and the differences between them um, is really interesting, and it does make you wonder what uh, kind of lies under, like under the, the the hood here going forward. And and there's an intrigue to the differences, and it makes you want to figure it out. Um, and some fan favorite characters and villains are back for this one, so. A lot of people will be very happy, I think, with uh, the places that the story goes. So I'm very excited to play more. Uh, I'll probably hop back into that this weekend. Um, and yeah, we'll have maybe some more bits to talk about. And didn't play the other PS5 game I have on loan right now, which is Returnal. Uh, might grab a little bit of that this weekend as well. But uh, but yeah, uh, so far so good for Ratchet and Clank. It seems like a killer app for the PS5 if you can get your hands on one. A little bit of something for old players a little bit something for new players and takes advantage of the ps5 yeah can't that's kind of complain. what i've been hearing yeah and can't complain about that makes me want sure. to like jump in and get it but I don't know. <laughs> it's hard it's hard it's hard yeah well getting there yeah that's kind of the, all i got to play so uh yeah okay um i didn't play anything new jumped into pokemon snap a little bit um continuing to 
when I can do uh, the Horizon Zero Dawn when I can. Right. Uh, it's just, it's summer and it's getting busy. Weekends are busy. But um, I'll talk to you off, off podcast for <laughs> yeah. this. But in the meantime, yeah. I think that does it for us here. think so. Wow, look at that. All right, let's yeah. plug away and right. call it. All right, so thank you for joining us for the Media Vote podcast this week. We will be back next week for all sorts of other things. News, thoughts, stories, everything that we've got for you. We'll be back with more next week. In the meantime, you can catch us in video form on YouTube.com. Just search Media Boat Podcast and you'll find our channel. Like, subscribe, click the bell for notifications. You know the drill. If you'd rather hear the audio version, you can do that too. Just go to Media Boat po- or search Media Boat Podcast on any of your podcast catchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, I, you name it, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We all got it. So uh, yeah, check it out there. You can also find us on the internet on MediaBoatPodcast.com. Social media, our handle on Twitter is at MediaBoatCast. On Facebook, search MediaBoatPodcast, and you'll find our page there. Like, comment, too. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything that you want to say to us, email us at MediaBoatPodcast at gmail.com. So thank you for joining us this week. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, enjoy your time doing whatever you're doing, and we'll catch you on the proverbial flip side. We'll be next back next week with thoughts on probably Doja Cat on Tyler <laughs> Kama the Creator and Mario <laughs> Super Golf. Yeah. Stay tuned Mario Golf Super Rush. Golf stuff next yeah. week. Be there. All right. We'll be back next week. Uh okay, bye. Bye. bye.